Well, I have the opportunity to introduce to you our speaker today, and uh, Steve is coming from Renewal Church, as Kevin prayed, and last week we had uh, the lead pastor, Derek, with us, and this week we have the opportunity, his colleague and close friend, and so I had a little opportunity to get to know Steve uh, before the service, and so Steve grew up in Indianapolis and was saved in college, and he was involved in crew was going to work on his doctorate at Trinity, and his friendship with Derek dates back to when they were in high school, and he and Derek had a dream of pastoring and working together in a church, and God worked it out that they are together now and are impacting the city of Chicago in so many different ways. So will you help me welcome Steve this morning? Thank you. Such a, a kind introduction. Uh, I was glad when they said unto me, come let us go to Hope Fellowship Church in Lombard, Illinois, uh, to share in the Word of God with you. Uh, it is a joy and a delight to be with you. Um, and uh, this morning, I want to lift a passage of Scripture into your hearing from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. It's uh, a very popular passage of Scripture in that it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, historians would call it, and it's part of the Beatitudes. Uh, and so it is a joy and a delight. I, I, I do want to say that, man, we are just so much a part of that baby boom. We got a baby boom uh, of presented, presented uh, folks who are going to be presented as uh, our new babies that are a part of our community of faith here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, and so it's glad, I'm glad to be a part of uh, your guys' baby boom as well. When you got Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, would you do me a favor and shout, I got it. It reads this way. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The very words of Scripture. Amen. My mom was uh, a single parent mom, and so she uh, tried to fit the bill in terms of uh, taking care of all the aspects that a dad would take care of. Uh, as this single parent mom. And I'll never forget, uh, I turned 10 years old and I'm from Indiana, y'all. So uh, I know that in Illinois, like you guys think you're serious about basketball, but like Indiana, like is for real about basketball. Even if you're poor, it's like somebody's going to figure out how to lay some concrete and put up a basketball goal, right? Um, and that's just how it is uh, in Indiana. And so I got excited. Uh, my 10th birthday, my mom uh, had bought me one of those adjustable goals, and they hadn't laid the concrete for the basketball court yet, so it was just inside our garage. Uh, and so it was lowered to the lowest place on uh, the adjustment, and so it fit just barely inside the garage. The very top of the backboard hit the top of uh, of the garage, and so I'm so excited uh, about this basketball goal and, and all of the things that, uh, all of the games that are going to be played around this basketball goal, and my mom is there in, uh, in the garage talking to the neighbor. Uh, my father's uh, car is there. It's our own, only car. My father passed away when I was four, uh, and so 1989 Nissan Maxima, 
and I'm just excited. I'm showing off for the neighbor. I'm hanging on the rim because it's lowered to the lowest point. And, and my mom keeps turning over and say, Steve, stop playing with that. You're going to get yourself hurt. Steve, stop playing with that. You're going to get yourself hurt. But I, I'm not listening, and I'm still jumping up onto the rim and hanging on it like I'm Vince Carter. And I am, I am going to be dunking on this thing before you know it, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, the goal swings out from under me and comes tumbling on top of our only car. Uh, and so it was so loud that I thought, like, I think the car is broken. I, I, think, the car, uh, I think the car doesn't work anymore. Uh, and so my mom must be embarrassed. She's, she's talking to the neighbor. I'm sure the neighbor is sitting there thinking, like, how in the world did you let your kid do that? Uh, I, I rush up into my room, and I am just uh, waiting with tiptoe anticipation and bated breath, John, to hear, uh, to hear my mom say, that's it. No more basketball goal. No more uh, no more concrete for the court. No more, no more basketball goal. That's it. I, I'm going to take this thing back. I, I waited with tiptoe anticipation and bated breath to hear my mom say, I can't even believe you did that. What were you thinking? I can't believe you did that. You're under punishment for the next couple of weeks. I, I waited to hear her say for sure, knowing that she would say, I can't believe what you've done. And so as I was waiting there, head between my knees, with the expectation of some kind of discipline or punishment, my mom came upstairs, put her arms around me, got down on the floor, and said, it's just a car. It's just a car. The only thing I was worried about was you. It's just a car. And my mom taught me something very important in life that day. She taught me that sometimes in life, mercy is more powerful than punishment. Uh, that, that there are times in life that mercy is more powerful than punishment. Our passage this morning is pretty straightforward. Uh, simply, if there was a big idea that, uh, that lifted itself off of the pages, it would be that merciful people receive mercy. Merciful people receive mercy. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness, for the opportunity to gather together here today to sing to you, God, to worship you, even for the opportunity to give back in response to your generosity towards us. And now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So before we jump into our particular passage of Scripture this morning, we're looking at the Beatitudes within the Sermon on the Mount. And so essentially Jesus has gone up into a mountain and his disciples have followed him and he begins to preach to them. Uh, and he begins by using this word blessed. 
blessed over and over and over again. Uh, and sometimes we think of the idea of blessed and we think it, it means the, the good that God has done in our lives. I'm blessed. And uh, it's true. It does mean that when Jesus says blessed. But Jesus' use of the word blessed here carries with it the idea of the fullest measure of life right now and in the future. Uh, it, it carries with it the idea of the fullest measure of life right now in this moment and on into the future. It's, uh, it's what Jesus said in the latter half of John chapter 10 and verse 10. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Or I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And, and that full life is here and it is in the future. The, the other thing about Jesus' use of blessed here is that it, it means happy. And sometimes we struggle with the idea uh, that Jesus would say that we ought to be happy. And so fo many followers of Jesus spend a lot of time thinking about what God wants to do in their lives. And some think about that, uh, that, that God, uh, the idea of God making us happy is something that's not a part of the nature of who God is. So we say, whatever's the hardest thing in life, that's the thing that, that, that God is calling me to. Uh, and yet there is still this uh, strange nature of uh, full life, of, of a happiness that comes with following Jesus. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy God means to be happy in God. God's calling on your life and my life is to bring him glory, and in bringing him glory, it brings you joy and not misery. Jesus says, blessed, happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's easy for us to look at the Beatitudes and think to ourselves that, uh, man, this, this must be the formula uh, for how to have uh, how to gain blessings from God or to gain things from God. Uh, and one of the things that you have to understand about the Beatitudes when it says, blessed are the merciful or blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, is this that these things that Jesus is speaking of are not necessarily about things that you do. They are about who you are. The, these, these are characteristics of people who are a part of the kingdom of God. The, these are characteristics of people who have, who have received the grace of God. They, they, they are things that characterize your life. You are a person who is poor in spirit, who recognizes, I, I have nothing to stand on on my own before a holy and a perfect God. I am in desperate need for grace. I am dependent. Uh, it, it, it characterizes, it, it shapes uh, the, the way that you are. And so oftentimes people will read uh, the Beatitudes and think to themselves, oh, these are the ways, these are the things that I have to do in order to, for God to be happy with me. And yet these are actually the things that you are if you have been united to Jesus by faith through his person and work which is the grace of God on your behalf. 
Jesus says, blessed, happy, happy are the merciful for they shall receive, they shall receive mercy. So, so what is mercy or what, what does it mean to be merciful? I, I love what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says uh, about this and we'll throw the slide up for you to see it. He makes this distinction between grace and mercy. He says uh, in this distinction, grace is especially associated with people in their sins. Mercy is especially associated with people in their misery. While grace looks down upon sin as a whole, mercy looks especially upon the miserable consequences of sin so that mercy really means a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering. That is the essential meaning of being merciful. It is pity plus action. It is looking at the misery that someone's failure has caused themselves and taking action to relieve it. The concern about people's misery leads to an anxiety, D. Martin Lloyd says, to relieve it. I love Bible scholar John Nolan just kind of giving us a, uh, a well to draw from when we're thinking about this idea of mercy and merciful. Uh, John Nolan says this about mercy, and in, in particular as it is tied to this passage. He says, it allows people to make a fresh start and often involves forgiveness and the release of others from their indebtedness. It is costly, he says, in a variety of ways. It is, uh, it, is, it is to look at someone's misery and take action for their failure. Blessed are the merciful, for they, for they shall receive mercy. Look, look with me at that word merciful and mercy in our passage in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Both of them in uh, the original language, the New Testament is originally written in a language called Greek, and the Greek word in both instances is the word eliamon. Eliamon. It, it means to show compassion. It is, uh, it is the ability to sympathize with another, to get inside the skin of another, and thus uh, you are able to dispense mercy. It, it's a person who's able to connect with you. Uh, it's a person who's able to identify uh, with the consequences of uh, what your failure has brought upon yourself and to act to relieve it. Some people know the name uh, Jeffrey Schammer. He was a renowned journalist uh, who came to fame during the AIDS epidemic and pandemic uh, he, he could write about the AIDS epidemic with so much poignancy and passion and precision that no one else compared to Jeffrey Schammer. And uh, he was once asked the question, how do you write with, with so much specificity about this AIDS epidemic? How, how, how do you write so well about it? it? It's so distinct from anybody else who writes about the AIDS epidemic and uh, and he turned and said to the person who asked him the question, he said, well, I have an unfair advantage. See, the reason why I'm able to write so well about AIDS is because I have AIDS. Eliamon. It's this idea to so be able to put your self in the shoes of another 
that you feel the feeling of the misery of their failure and act to relieve it. About 10 years ago, I was a seminary student in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, a, a few years before that, I, I, as John said, I had this experiential um, kind of call to faith in Jesus through crew ministry, um, and I decided that I, I, I felt uh, that, that since the calling of God to pursue vocational ministry, and so my friend Pastor Derek, who you guys have met, uh, he had moved down to Memphis, Tennessee, and he was taking part of a, a, in a residency program where they would take these young pastors and help pour into them, uh, show them how to do stuff, and, uh, and then launch them off to be able to do their own thing. Uh, and so I am just so excited about being a part of this residency program. I moved myself down to Memphis, Tennessee, and I work uh, for a guy named Ricky Jenkins. He was my direct report. He was my pastor. And then above him was Pastor Brian Loritz. And so I just love to be around these guys. And, and oftentimes, it, they would just invite you to be with them wherever they were going. And they were always doing something cool. They were always going someplace. And, and you'd get a call in, in, you know, in the middle of the night, hey, I can't make it to this funeral. Uh, I need you to go preach the eulogy. Uh, stuff like that. Stuff that like pastors are like, that's what we do, right? In season and out of season, we're ready. Um, and, and so I just was so ecstatic about the brotherhood and, and uh, the relationships that I was building there in Memphis. Um, and, and so I just was so happy to, happy to be there. Uh, but then I did something wrong. I, I did something wrong. And it was, it was one of those things where you're like, man, if I told somebody about this, like, that's it. It's a wrap. It's over with. Like boys to men was singing in the background of my mind. It's the end of the road, right? That, and I just, I just, I was like, man, I was enjoying, like this was, this was like the best thing in my life. And now it's the end of the road. I, I have failed. I, I am no longer qualified for ministry. And so this thing, I, I kind of kept it to myself for an extended period of time. And then it, it was like Psalm 32 with, with David. Just, it, it just felt like my bones were rotting within me. And so I, uh, I had my, my sit-down meeting with Pastor Ricky, and I said, today's the day I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to confess my sins, and I'm going to get myself ready uh, to pack up my desk and to head back to Indianapolis. That's what I said to myself. Um, and so, and, and like I said, boys to men in the background, it's the end of the road. That's how I went into the office thinking. Uh, and so I sit down in, in front of my pastor and I tell him, uh, I, I, he begins this meeting and he starts going on and on. He says, I, I say to him, I, I need you to wait. I got to tell you something. I got to share something that's on my heart. And I began to confess my sin. And in that moment when I was anticipating, I can't believe that you would ever do something like that. In that moment when I was anticipating, yeah, you're not qualified anymore. In, in that moment when I thought, all I was going to get was rejection. What, 
what I actually experienced was that it was as though Pastor Ricky got up out of his seat, put himself in my shoes, and said, I forgive you. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. And as I experienced that great relief over my soul, I was reminded of two things. First of all, the quali- what qualifies me to be a pastor was not me. Like, I can't, I can't stand in my own righteousness to gain approval with God. I, I must stand in the foreign righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so often as followers of Jesus, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we start with grace and then we move on to our reputation. We start with grace and then we move on with our righteousness that we're developing. We start with grace and we try to stand in our reputation. And what Pastor Ricky had to remind me was, son, you're going to start with grace You're going to keep going by grace, and you're going to finish this race by grace. Because you don't start and then put on your righteousness. You keep going by reminding yourself that you're standing in Jesus's. And secondly, I reminded myself of what happened when I was 10 years old. When my mom put her arms around me and said, it's just a car that sometimes mercy is more powerful. Sometimes mercy has a greater impact on a person's soul than punishment. And yet we live in this society, in in, in a culture uh, where where people are sort of afraid to ever say the wrong thing. Uh, for, for, For situations that happened 10, 20 years ago, they get brought up back into the forefront of the picture and society says, cancel them. Cancel them. They're done. You're done. That's it. And I'm not talking about stuff that, 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 that people haven't owned up to. I'm not talking about stuff that people haven't said, yeah, I, I was wrong for that. I, I, I look at the, the circumstances of, of what I've done, and I, 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 I'm talking about the people who step in and say, I have done wrong. And yet our society still says, you're done. We cancel you. And yet I, I'm so glad that, I'm so glad that, that when I look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, and I, when I look at the scope of, of my relationship with God, the author of life doesn't press the cancel button on me. 
I, I'm, I'm so glad that the, the maker of heaven and earth didn't listen to the accusations of Satan against me, even though there were some real accusations, but because I'm standing in the finished and perfect work of Jesus Christ, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He, he stepped into my shoes. He he experienced my experience. He, uh, he stepped into the sorrow of the consequences of my failure. Uh, he took it all on on the cross, and he cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Father, have mercy on them. That's what God says over you and me in Jesus Okay, see, I, I agree, cancel culture, it, it's not the way followers of Jesus should, should be, but, but maybe that's just for people who aren't followers of Jesus yet. That, that's a great question. Let, 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 let's check what Jesus has uh, to say about that. The, the guy who uh, Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus told, uh, told as he was getting ready uh, to be brutally murdered that uh, that Peter was going to deny him three times, uh, and Peter says, "Yeah, right. I'll never, I'll never do that." The the guy who Jesus said, "Upon this rock, I'll build my church," and yet that's exactly what Peter does, and yet he still uses him. But see, there's other bad stuff that that Jesus can't have mercy on, right? Like like one day Jesus was at the temple in Jerusalem and some religious leaders uh, brought a woman to him who had been caught in the act of adultery. Now, uh, mind you, it doesn't say that she said, hey, guys, I messed up. It doesn't say in the story, Jesus said, uh, she, she said, listen, I need to repent for my sins. It says she was caught in the act. And they brought her to Jesus and said, what does the law say we are to do with this woman? And the Bible says that Jesus bent down, took a stick and began to write in the dirt. And, and many Bible scholars believe that what Jesus was writing in the dirt were the sins of these men who had brought this woman to them. And then by the time he had gotten done writing in the dirt, there was nobody there. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? She says, they left. Where are those who condemn you? They're not here anymore. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Mercy. Sometimes in life, Mercy is more powerful than punishment. You see, the reason Jesus can, uh, can do this, can say go and sin no more, is because he came to perform the greatest act of mercy. He came as the one offended by all of your sin and my sin, all the little acts of building our lives on things other than God, all the prayers that we prayed for things to receive that actually were meant to usurp what God was intended to be in our lives, all uh, the transactional ways that we tried to approach God, all the different things that we did that we knew were 
or against God's will, and yet we still did it. Jesus came as the one offended by your sin and mine, and he acted to relieve the misery of it. He, he took the misery of sin on the cross and extends that mercy to everyone who would cling to him as the object of mercy. And as we follow Jesus, we have to become like him as as people who are characterized by mercy. And our failure to do so really means we have failed to recognize the first four Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit because we're not poor in spirit because we really think we have spiritual merit to present. We're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we think that we actually have some righteousness of our own and we just become the religious leaders leaders who brought the woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus and blind to our own spiritual bankruptcy. You see, we all need mercy, not just to begin with. We need mercy to continue to the end. So here I am at your neighborhood. I've pulled up to your cul-de-sac in Lombard. We just talked about a baby boom. There's going to be a day when that child that you're holding in your arms right now, there's going to be a day when that child that you just sent off to the children's ministry is going to do something and you're going to have to make a decision. There's always room for discipline. Discipline is a part of love. Discipline must always be motivated by love. But that little one is going to grow up and they're going to get kicked out of school. Maybe they grow up and there's a teenage pregnancy. Maybe they grow up and there's a run-in with the law. Let me, let me not even fill in the blanks for you. What is that thing that your kid could do that you know you would be embarrassed by? Like that would be the thing that would really rock your world. Now here's the question. As someone who knows that they have received mercy, and somebody who's characterized as being merciful because you have received mercy, Will you show it? Or will you show that you don't actually believe in that stuff? That life is all about dotting your I's and crossing your T's. 
Or will you be a person who said mercy suits my case, so it suits yours too? Some of you are adults who have parents and you've been holding on to mistakes your parents made years ago and they own them. They acknowledge those mistakes. They recognize their sin. And for whatever reason, you're still holding it over them. I'm not saying the relationship has to be perfect. I'm not saying that y'all got to be best friends tomorrow. But the very fact that someone has owned their failure and you still hold it over them shows that you don't even recognize the mercy that you've received in your own life. And so maybe the application for you today is that if that is my mom, if that is my dad, and they've owned their stuff, I need to remind myself of who I am in light of who Jesus is and my failure and my received mercy and call them on the phone and say, you know what, we may not be best friends tomorrow, but I forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. Somebody, you're a boss. You have a team of people that work underneath you. And you have these numbers to punch at the end of the month, right? You got to get to a certain place. Uh, and, and, and every now and then, uh, there is a time when somebody is not going to hit their mark. I had a friend recently tell me in an HR department about how he had uh, not gotten any bad reviews of performance. And yet the HR department said, well, obviously this is a performance issue. He works in HR. That can't be us. We, we, and I'm not saying there's never going to be a time where you've got to fire somebody. There will be. But by and large, you and I have to be characterized by mercy. Because that's what we receive. Sadly, even in the evangelical church, I find that cancel culture, because of the qualifications, I would sit and pas- uh, pastor Bible studies and everybody would look at the qualifications of elders and they'd say, man, I'm, I, need to, I need to get better at this or I need to get better at that and I need to get better at this. Sometimes as pastors, we can be people who believe in mercy for you but not mercy for us. And what we have to remind ourselves and what Christian leaders have to remind ourselves is that what qualified us is Jesus. And me trying to keep all the things perfectly is me trying to earn a righteousness that I never received. Because merciful people 
receive mercy. That's who we are as a people, as followers, as followers of Jesus. We we all made it in because of the mercy of God. We are all kept because of the grace of God. We will be glorified because of the faithfulness of God. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. Because Jesus died in our place and for our sins. And because Jesus rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death. We must be people who rush to relieve the misery of others and not enact punishment. Because merciful people receive mercy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for your word, God. And, And honestly, grace is such a foreign concept to our lived experience. Like literally, we got the scholarship that we got at work because... Uh, or, or at school because we got a certain GPA, we got a promotion at work because uh, we did so much at work. We, we got so much out of life, the pats on our backs from our parents. We made the varsity team because of our hard work. And so often we place the lens of our lived experience over your word. And we misunderstand what grace is. And we live in this space of comparing and contrasting ourselves to others when in reality, before a holy and a perfect God, we don't stand a chance. Our righteousness is filthy rags. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that because of your love, you got justice on the cross in exchange for your son and then imputed, gave us his righteousness, all on the basis of grace, through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I I pray for us um, as a community of faith that you would continue to illuminate our hearts to what it means to experience the grace of God, what it means to be characterized by these attributes of the kingdom, what it means to be people who are quick to rush to relieve the misery of others. Not necessarily for those who, it's a perpetual act of defiance, it's a perpetual thing where they over and over and over and over again, and they never own up to anything. But man, when people say, hey, I messed up. I was caught in the act. Jesus, you still rush to relieve our misery through your mercy. Allow us to be merciful people. In Jesus' name, amen.